This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. President Obama has a very ambitious plan to reduce the amount of carbon emissions from various power plants and energy stations across the United States. He would like to see a decline of one-third by the year of 2030. That is going off of the numbers that were put out in 2005. But overall, we're still looking at a 15-year span. The idea is to really push forward renewable energy as an important source of power in our country. But can these goals be met? It's an interesting question that we are going to pose to our two guests who join us here in the studio. First, Sarah Light, who is an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School, and also our friend Eric Ortz, who is a professor in that same department and also faculty director for the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. Eric, great to see you again. Sarah, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having great, us. Great to have yeah. you. Uh, are the goals feasible, Sarah? I think that they are feasible. They're um, they're big and they're bold, but they need to be big and bold at this particular time. Um, if you think about where we stand right now in the climate, of the last 15 years, mm-hmm. 14 of them were the warmest on in recorded history, with 2014 being the hottest year in recorded history. Um, and climate change is an urgent problem with potential health risks um, and major costs. So if we don't act now, it will become more expensive to um, address some of these emissions problems. Um, the clean power plan that was put forward yesterday, I think, is a an eminently achievable goal. Um, it puts in place a number of different potential building blocks, and it gives the states flexibility to meet the 32 percent by 2030 target that the White House has set. Um, They can implement demand reduction. They can switch to renewable sources of energy. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's being encouraged is actually the use of interstate um, cap-and-trade emissions trading systems. So I think that it is certainly possible to achieve these goals. Eric? Yeah, I've, I really fully agree with what uh, Sarah said. There are going to be costs, and so the objections that you hear in the political uh, in the political community and among some of the business sector, not all, it, there's definitely going to be costs in the transition. But I think that the president made a good point when he announced this plan yesterday that if you have a historical perspective, and Sarah and I both teach environmental law, if you have a historical perspective every time, almost, that there is a serious uh, anti-pollution regulation that will be proposed or go into effect, mm-hmm. you're going to hurt somebody because somebody sure, is being yeah. told you yeah. can no longer do something, uh, do something for free, yeah. when uh, and, and sometimes it'll be mandated. Uh, I'd just like to highlight the point Sarah made that the uh, this plan in particular has been in process for two years. Uh, the uh, EPA has consulted quite broadly and deeply with uh, both uh, environmentalists on one side, but also businesses and, yeah. the, and the public utilities. I think that a number of the public utilities have been are going to be fine with this and will even make money. Some of those who have been uh, thinking fast forward 
uh, uh, have been thinking forward and, and realizing that the world is moving toward a regime where sure. you know a, a time when you have to deal with the problem, and the time is now here. Those companies that have uh, have positioned themselves to be there are, mm -hmm. are going to do all right. Uh, other companies you also saw in the news, uh, Alpha Natural Resources, Resources, which is a mining company, just declared bankruptcy today, uh, but mm -hmm. it had a. You know, I think in retrospect, a, uh, a, a, a not a very good idea of a plan where uh, they're basically going to export coal to China. Well, I mean, now from the perspective of today, you can see why a company like that goes bankrupt. Yep. Uh, coal is just not the future, uh, and um, and so if you're in that business, you're not too happy. <laughs> but uh, but I think uh, I would agree with Sarah overall that it's a it's a uh, it's a doable plan. It's going to be complicated. There's a lot of flexibility that the states have to develop uh, for, for different approaches in different states. But it also, uh, the other point to put on the table is that it puts the United States in a very strong position to negotiate this issue mm -hmm. uh, in the world, and in particular at the Paris Conference, which is coming up in December. We are joined by uh, Eric Wirtz uh, and Sarah Light, both of the Legal Studies and Business Eth Ethics Department here at Wharton. We'd love to get your opinion as well on on the president's plan, uh, give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Phones are open if you'd like to join us and ask a question or give us a comment. Uh, there are so many things just off of what the two of you said, about 17 questions that I've got to ask. I'll start with the fact that uh, the, the timing of this. Obviously, we're talking about a time where obviously the need is now, as you said, to get this started, to really get this push going. But when you think short term, maybe just over the next six months, you mentioned the Paris conference, Eric. But we also have a time now where in a, in a month or so, uh, Pope Francis is coming to the United States. And Pope Francis has obviously made it well known that this is a topic that is on his plate as well. So from the president's perspective, it may have been two years that it's really been been playing out but timing wise he's got a chance to have a conference with this about the uh, with the pope about this and obviously late november beginning of december we're talking about paris as well yeah i think the politics is the i mean i think that people under have have tended to underestimate the president with, in, with respect to his political timing so the fact is that many environmentalists who had supported the president were very unhappy with him in his first term because he decided to make health care a priority and yeah. not energy. And there was a lot of consternation about that. And the science really hasn't changed that much from now since then. And so you could have made the case then that we should have made, uh, made a priority of it. But I think the timing, I think you're right, it's not all accidental, uh, but it certainly seems like the stars are aligning. We sure. were, we, I was here on the show last with yep. you talking about uh, the Pope's encyclical, which I think was uh, is, 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 is quite worth reading for people in detail. And it's, there's a nice, uh, there have been some new, uh, new, new, new examinations of that. But um, the president mentioned uh, the moral obligation to deal with this issue mm -hmm. and cited the Pope's encyclical in his speech. He had I think in the in the version I saw, there was a nun sitting right behind him. <laughs> so he's he's obviously not he's obviously going to leverage everything he can to uh, to get a, this forward. But, the, but there's PR also involved. a lot of there's a lot of opposition building. There, there's yeah. going to be a major legal challenge to this, and. Um, uh, we'll see. I might get my best guess is that it's going to survive uh, a challenge, but 
Obama's, uh, uh, Obama's constitutional law professor is leading the charge against it, Lawrence Tribe from Harvard. So it's, there's some big, there are going to be some big guns out there uh, trying to take out the regulation. But my sense is that it's going to stand up, but we'll, we'll have to see about that. The, the, the note that the president made was the fact that uh, this is basically going to start off of the levels of carbon emissions back in 2005. We're in 2015 here right now. How far have we advanced in, in that 10-year period towards that one-third goal that the president's talking about for 2030? So um, the United States actually keeps an annual inventory of its greenhouse gas emissions, and it's required to do so because it's a member of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, which uh-huh. is what uh, sets up these annual conferences of the parties with the next one coming up in December in Paris. Um, so the last year for which data is available is 2013. And in 2013, the United States was actually 9% below 2005 uh-huh. levels. Um, so we're making progress already. A fair amount of that progress actually comes from the fact that there's been a natural gas boom in the United States, sure. and natural gas is a much cleaner fossil fuel than coal when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Um, interestingly, though, if you compare the proposed clean power plan rule from last year with this clean power plan uh, final rule, you'll see that the proposal kind of fronted the idea of switching to natural gas. Uh-huh. The final rule still talks about that as an option, but is taking a much stronger stance in favor of renewable energy yeah. um, and energy efficiency. And I think that's a really sort of interesting change. Um, and it really does represent kind of the Obama administration's core view that natural gas is perhaps a bridge, but it's not, we shouldn't be relying on fossil fuels for the future. We really need to be making a switch to renewables. And part of this is also, and we mentioned this on the show, is the fact that the cost of renewable energy, just as a consumer, has come way down over the last few years, making it uh, much more easier for you know, a homeowner to be able to put solar tiles on their house or in their backyard to be able to, you know, collect energy and basically use it in their house. Ten years ago, you realistically, you didn't see hardly anybody doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are new business models in place where homeowners don't actually need to themselves own solar panels. Um, Companies will own the panels and lease them to the homeowners and be paid back out of the savings on energy. But that would fall under the category of uh, demand reduction. And so that is something the state of Pennsylvania could put into place some sort of incentive program for Mm -hmm. homeowners to do more solar panels on their roofs, reducing energy demand. That could help count toward this reduction goal. Do do states even do that at this point or is that still kind of a, a, a theory that, you know, that probably would be bumped around in in various state legislatures at this point? Some states are adopting this kind of policy. You've had subsidies which have partially driven the uh, the solar technology and the wind technology improvements, but uh, but Sarah's right to point out that the costs of those technologies have radically been declining. It's not quite Moore's law, but it was uh-huh. it's maybe half of that. And uh, now we ha- one should be careful to point out that the total share of electricity production by solar and by wind, even though it has been increasing um, significantly, is still something around 6%, 5%, maybe at the most. Yeah. And so you're still uh, – nuclear still has a uh, has an important uh, uh, 
potential role here. And uh, you see a number of environmental groups moving over to a pro-nuclear position because nuclear power produces zero greenhouse gases, uh, zero carbon dioxide. So, um, so you have uh, so you have a mix of different options, and I think you'll start to see it. Now, one of the one of the difficulties to see some of the consumer-driven power generation po- possibilities is in the transmission wires. Sure, yeah. But what happens yeah. with this uh, kind of an action is if if these regulations are upheld, upheld, what happened legally is what happens is that you then provide the right incentives economically for these new technologies to develop, and so. That's why a lot of uh, a lot of alternative energy, uh, alternative technology, energy efficiency companies are going to be benefited from this uh, from this regulation. And again, the number to give us a call if you'd like to chime in with a comment or ask a question is eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're talking with Eric Ortz, uh, professor in the Legal uh, Studies and Business Ethics uh, Department here at Wharton, and Sarah Light, an assistant professor in that part department as well. Uh, Sarah, you d- did a paper recently that uh, appeared in the Stanford Environmental Law Journal, uh, which mentioned there's several ways that, that probably this approach can be taken and that maybe not just one of these ways might be the best way, maybe a mix of two or three different options might be the best way to tackle climate change. Yes. Um, and I know Eric is nodding because he and I have also uh, written a paper together on the making the same point. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, I don't think that there's a single magic bullet. I think it's important to take into account um, multiple different ways at the federal level, at the international level, at the state, regional, local level mm-hmm. um, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that being said, this is the big one. Um, the The electricity generating sector in the United States accounts for the single largest uh, portion of greenhouse gas emissions, followed mm-hmm. by the transportation sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Obama administration um, has already addressed emissions from the transportation sector by putting into place um, new higher fuel economy standards for cars, light duty vehicles, and yep. now trucks as well. Um, And so that is an important part of the president's climate action plan. The private sector is important here. The private sector has a real role to play Mm -hmm. um, as uh, leaders um, in developing new technologies and making investments in renewable energy technologies. So it's very interesting. Last week, 13 major global uh, firms pledged $140 billion in uh, to make that amount of low carbon um, investments and to develop six 1,600 megawatts of clean energy. Those are companies like Microsoft, Alcoa, Bank of America, Berkshire Hathaway, GM, right? So these are major players in the U.S. economy kind of getting on the bandwagon. Um, And while uh, Eric is absolutely right that that the legal challenges are already on their way, um, the the attorney general of the state of West Virginia held a news (laughs) conference already saying that he's going to be challenging the final rule just in the same way that he and a dozen other states challenged the proposed rule. Um, But major oil and gas firms are recognizing that carbon pricing is important. Six major oil and gas firms, Shell, BP, Total, various others, sent a letter in May to the director of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change requesting that carbon pricing be adopted Mm -hmm. in in Paris. Um, And uh, more than 150 firms globally use carbon pricing um, sort of as a shadow way of guiding their own investment decisions. So this is not a surprise. This is not something that's going to um, 
shock the private sector. The private yeah. sector already understands that carbon regulation is 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 coming, and it's something that they need to take into account. I might also point out when we're talking about the uh, the power plant itself, the clean power plant itself, mm-hmm. there are a number. The business community is not. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people saying business is against this, and mm-hmm. that's not the case. Uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is leading the charge against it, and there are a number of, uh, as you might guess, uh, oil and coal companies are sure. not too, too happy, and those that supply them. And not, but, surpri- uh, not surprised that West Virginia would be uh, on, on the on the negative side on yeah, this. Exa- yeah, I grew up across the river from there, so I, 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 I grew up with uh, coal miners. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, although those jobs are declining, right? Coal production yes. has declined 15% since 2008. So you can overestimate this as well. It used to be that our share of electricity in the United States was over 50% supplied by coal. Uh, not 10 years, that was 10 years ago. Now it's down about 40%. Now yep. still, that's a big part of the sector. But but my, one point I want to make is that business there are businesses supporting the, the uh, clean power plant, and those include uh, Nestle, eBay, Mars. Uh, uh, and then some environmentalist kind of companies like North Face and Timberland, but also Adidas, Unilever, Gap, General Mills, Levi Strauss. These are not minor companies that yeah. are also seeing this uh, the general problem of climate change as being a, just a, it's a necessary issue that business now has to address. So the business community is divided, um, and we'll see uh, we'll see uh, we'll see how that plays out as the as the political and the legal process moves forward. Explain, if you would, Sarah, the, the cap and trade system, uh, just exactly how that would play out. Right. So um, cap and trade in general works when a a regulator sets a cap, a total overall amount of pollution of any kind, whether it's water, air, greenhouse gas emissions, Mm -hmm. um, and then allocates either for free or by auction to emitters within the area that's being covered um, an allowance to emit a certain amount of the pollutant. Uh Um, And then the parties within the the area can trade amongst themselves. So basically what it's doing is um, if it's more expensive for for an emitter to um, reduce pollution, it can hold on to the allowance. Uh Um, If it's cheaper to reduce pollution, then it reduces pollution and it can sell the allowance to someone else who needs it. Um, And over time, often the cap will uh, decrease. So um, one of the things that the Clean Power Plan is recognizing, particularly in the final rule is that electricity uh, generation is interconnected. Mm -hmm. It's not like Pennsylvania operates as an island and we generate our own electricity. I mean, anyone who survived the blackout in, what was it, 2003 on the whole East Coast, um, understands that these are interconnected systems that cross state lines. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that the Clean Power Plan is um, suggesting as a potential building block is that um, states can either create their own emissions trading systems for electricity generating units Uh um, within the state, or that they can plug into existing programs like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, Uh which is um, a consortium of of, uh, states in kind of the Northeast and Uh Mid-Atlantic, or that they can create their own regional cap-and-trade systems. So this is a market-based approach that guarantees an overall cap on the amount of pollution, Uh um, but it gives the participating states or firms flexibility in how to reduce. So So economists like 
cap and trade system. Sure. Well, well, some. I, some I guess, some I guess, prefer carbon tax. I, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm on the tax mode. Although taxes, <laughs> I'm on the tax side too. Ta- but. Tax is a four-letter word in the United States, of course. So, <laughs> it is. Uh, but the I think that's a virtue of this plan, though, is that it's not saying one size fits all necessarily for all sure. the states. You have some flexibility. If you prefer to just knock out you know, some some greenhouse gas producing uh, sources and 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 favor others in different states, there uh, that the the potential is going to be able to do that. Uh, just to give you one other clear example, of, uh, th- this is not something that's never been tried and never worked. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, Joe Nocera has a nice uh, article in the, uh, op-ed in the New York Times this morning where he uh, recounts his personal experience of being in Canada and wondering well, on vacation, why are the trees dying off? And sure. he's told yeah. by the locals, it's because of those coal plants that are uh, because of acid rain. Well, under George Bush the first, uh, we had an acid rain uh, uh, training program that was put in place. It was a cap and trade program. Now it was only a hundred or so plants, and mm-hmm. so it's a little easier to administer. Uh, but it was an academic idea. Richard Stewart at NYU was, uh, I believe, he was in the Bush administration at that point uh, and recommended this idea. And it has been a success. By you know, you go up there to Canada now. Trees are healthy. It worked, uh, and. It is uh, beneficial from a business point of view because the costs are lower. So Mm -hmm. if your costs are very high to make a change, you can pay somebody else for the permit who over controls because mm-hmm. they're maybe in a better position or they have developed a better technology or are able to build a new plant or whatever. So, uh, so there are a lot of flex and there's a lot of work that's been done on this. And I think you're, uh, I, I think, on the assumption the regulation is upheld, you're going to see a lot of experiments and sure. the general <laughs> cries of alarm that we're all going to be put out of business, et cetera, is, <laughs> is not going to actually. Uh, a few people, yes. Uh, there's going to be no new coal, new, no, no new coal plants opened under this. Although, there's also no, been no new coal plants open for a long time now in the United States, at right. least. But the one thing we do know, and we, we've mentioned this with you on the show before, is the fact that uh, the business aspects of renewable energy and of conservation and of taking care of the environment is becoming a much bigger business. Overall, this is something that a lot of companies now know can be a profitable business, whereas maybe they didn't think that. They thought more of it uh, as an aggravation maybe 10, 15 years ago as compared to now, which obviously is a good thing because if you get enough people thinking that process, then that just helps it all well, just moved down the road. Well, what you also have with this kind of a regulation is you put a permanent incentive in place. So sure, one of the yeah. problems with yep. renewable energy in the past had been that you had subsidies that I think there was an argument for and against uh, subsidies, but a lot of the solar uh, solar panel, uh, solar companies and wind companies were relying on government subsidies, which uh-huh. get renewed. And so your business plan was, we better get renewed on the next subsidy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think a good aspect of this uh, regulation is that you're basically changing the game so that uh, the incentives are permanently uh, set so that you have uh, alternative energy and, uh, and other and energy saving and uh, uh, you, you provide uh, reason to go into the, to invest and and the investments will have a longer term payoff horizon that you can rely on and that should attract uh, more investment to those uh, to those energy possibilities. The important thing also is the fact that with uh, President Obama making this push now and with what is on the schedule for the next few months that the hope is is that with the United States making this push forward that you will get other countries that will follow along and suit. And I guess I'll throw out the question. A lot of people have talked about the importance of China in mm-hmm. this whole process. How important is China 
in this whole process? China is very important. China is has surpassed the United States as the um, single largest global contributor of greenhouse gas emissions. If you look at it on a country by country basis, mm-hmm. although at a per capita level, the United States is by far still we, we're emitting many more greenhouse gas emissions sure. in the United States uh, per capita than China. Um, the U.S. and China actually reached an agreement in November of 2014, sort of just a bilateral agreement mm-hmm. in which the United States agreed to um, certain emissions cuts that are actually kind of baked into the clean power plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and China agreed that it would um, sort of reach its peak of carbon emissions by 2030, mm-hmm. um, but also, uh, and then attempt to, to reduce, um, but also try to build its renewable component of electricity generation up to about 20% mm-hmm. by 2030. So I think the fact that the United States is undertaking this um, sort of important long-term commitment is going to position it very well to be a leader in the upcoming Uh, Conference of the Parties talks in Paris in December. Uh, The failure of U.S. leadership up till now Mm -hmm. on climate has been important. The fact that the Senate didn't ratify the Kyoto Protocol um, really kind of pushed the United States off of the world stage in terms of being a, a climate leader. And I think this puts us back front and center. But this is something that, and as you mentioned, Eric, there will obviously be a lot of organizations that will look to try and block this uh, in in the months to come. But this is one of those topics that if you are somebody that is involved in government, yes, you have to worry about your local people that are involved in it. But this is a topic that is one of those things that realistically pretty much everybody should be on board with. I, I, I mean, it, I, I understand the policy of, that you will have in Washington, D.C., that that's not going to happen. But when you think about the basics of this, this should be something that everybody jumps on board with. Well, I think, you know, there are going to be different views about how far you go, but I I think it's true that the science is now coming in as pretty well settled. And the United States is actually an outlier that we have one of our major uh, political uh, parties, basically, that has switched on this issue. It used to be that um, we had many Republicans who who were in power, who actually uh, tried to come to compromises. There was uh, John McCain sponsored a national level cap and trade program Mm -hmm. that came very close to going forward, but it got torpedoed right at the end. Um, John Huntsman, when he was uh, uh, when he was uh, governor, uh, is another uh, we should disclose, I guess, also is on the tr- is a trustee of the University of Pennsylvania. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he he has also he was uh, he was a presidential candidate and and he was uh, he was he was in favor of greenhouse gas regulation, but ended up getting two percent, I think, of the vote of the <laughs> primary. So we definitely have a bit. That's a big issue in the United States. There's a block of uh, people in this country who basically don't believe the science uh, and and have. Uh, and for whatever reasons, are not engaging on the issue. I think the I think that though the this indi- the see the, the 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 shift is coming. It's probably going to be a presidential issue, by the sure, way. Yeah. that's coming up. Yep. And one of the demographics I think is important to consider is that the newer the younger people don't really think this is a debatable issue for the most yeah. part, right? Yep. The millennials kind of get it. And I get a question from my son now, he's about to go to college, <laughs> saying, "Yeah, how come you guys are not doing anything about the planet?" Right? I mean. <laughs> So, the, and I and we we we're both teachers. So you 
Now, to some extent, uh, we may, you know some of the classes we teach, it's going to be a self-selected group. So I'm not saying all Wharton School students are sure. are, are are climate are climate regulation advocates, but I think in general uh, terms, the demographics are shifting on this. Yeah. And you're going to get. You have to deal with the issue. It's becoming too clear that it's a problem. And the fact that uh, there it was a story a couple of months ago that that we now have more millennials out there than we do baby boomers. So I mean, it, it happens. It, exactly, <laughs> it is. It's it's it, it's part of nature. It's not changing anytime soon. So that's the demographic that you have to reach, anyway, as you said. Yeah. So, so I I think that there are some. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the. You know, how much of a liability? I mean, it could be um, wrong. Yep. Uh, it could be that the argument that there there are going to be costs to this, yep. and, and and there is a, a a live debate out there about how, who is this hurting the most. Uh, the president made a strong argument that. If you don't uh, regulate in the climate area, the people who are most vulnerable are those who are poor and um, and 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 living in, in in places that you're going to be vulnerable to change. You can't just change your house or or put your house on stilts, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and on the other side, there's uh, strong arguments that in certain parts of the country. You know, if you're shutting down coal, uh, then they're going to be they're going to be effects. So yep. there's definitely yep. going to be a political battle coming up on the issue. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.